What up, what up? Tony T here. Me and Mike are going to be talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're my personal favorite band. Um, I've liked other bands since, but honestly, nobody does it for me like the Chili Peppers do. They are incredible. Still to this day, and I am particularly overjoyed that their superstar guitar player, John Frusciante, has been back in the band since 2019. I thought it would never happen. Um, so yeah, basically in this uh, deep dive, if you will, we will talk about what made the Chili Peppers great. Like basically like how Anthony Kiedis and Flea met and their history leading up to their seminal album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Stay tuned. So today is a really special episode because I felt compelled. And Mike, you and I have discussed this a little bit, but not to this uh, extent where we want to go or a specific extent rather that we want to start dissecting rock bands and what makes them really good and what has made them stand the test of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I figure we start this uh, every now and again segment with my favorite rock band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. All right. And let's I know get funky. Let's get, let's get jiggy with it, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's not even a Chili Peppers record <coughs> at all. But anyway, oh, I would hope most people would know. <laughs> well, Anthony Kiedis in the uh, the lyrical genius Will Smith came up with that, I believe. I the wordsmith par excellence, Will Smith. Now, I think first we gotta start. In with case you didn't know, sorry, my, Tony. In case you didn't know, parents just don't understand. That's it, man. <laughs> They Sorry. don't, man. <laughs> no, but Anthony, speaking of which, um, so the band, I guess you could trace back to when Anthony Kiedis met Michael Bowsery at Fairfax High School in 1977. Is that his real name? Michael Bowsery. Michael his Peter name's Bowsery. Michael? I never knew that. Yep, his That's name is cool. Michael Peter Bowsery and was very, uh, when he, he was very small for a very long time, he was very frenetic and would kind of zip around a lot and so he adapted the nickname Flea. So... That's where he got the nickname. That's where he got the nickname. That's interesting. Who he came up with it, or somebody, his family, it was some, or his it was, friends, or someone gave it to him, like Mikey, Mikey. It was a Mikey B the Flea at first, and then wow. he just became Flea. Yeah, huh? That's interesting. So the way they met Anthony and Flea was, Anthony had just transferred to Fairfax High from another school, and he had made a friend, some random friend, in his class, right? And so he sees. Flea putting this new friend in a headlock. And Anthony, you know, with all his bravado, even at 15 years old, comes over to Flea and he goes, hey, get your hands off or I'm going to fuck you up. Right? And then Flea goes, no, no, no. No, this is my friend. We're fine. We're good. I'm I'm Michael. And Anthony's like, all right, man, I'm Anthony. So they're, they're kind of like, in, they're kind of ambivalent toward each other at this point. But then they have driver's ed together, turns out. And I forget who writes on whose desk, but Anthony goes to the bathroom and, well, actually, before Anthony goes to the bathroom, the teacher says, one of my rules is you cannot write on the desks. If I catch any of you writing on the desks, you're going to get detention. And so Anthony goes to the bathroom and Flea writes, Michael Bowsery was here. (laughs) And then Anthony gets back and sees what happened. Then he writes on Flea's desk, Anthony Kiedis was here. <laughs> yeah. 
And then from then on, they became, like, inseparable, and they would do everything together, like, go on road trips, do drugs. And there's even one uh, story... Wasn't Anthony Kiedis doing heroin by then? Anthony... Did he do heroin at, like, 12 or something? So the way... Okay, so... Anthony wasn't, like, a heroin addict until he was in his early 20s. Okay. When he, or, like, late teens, early 20s, when okay. he was... But he was doing age. drugs and drinking, like, at a young age. At a young age, age, yeah. In uh, Scar Tissue, there's actually a picture of Anthony smoking his first joint taken by his father at 12 years old. Crazy. I know we, I think we mentioned his dad on another episode. A little bit, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so that was Anthony's uh, upbringing, like, lost his virginity at 12 as well. Um, lived with his dad. His dad was dealing drugs to the likes of... Keith Moon, if Led Zeppelin. Dad, if your dad, your first joint is given to you by your dad at age 12, I mean, you're just destined for, <laughs> for a psychological life of... problems. I mean, that I mean, is fucking nuts. Not to mention that, like, he, well, he grew up in Michigan, actually, Anthony, for a while. For, like, the first 10 years of his life, he was in Michigan with his mom. And his dad was, like, cheating on his mom. And then, like, you know, of course, the mom divorced the dad. Um... His dad moves to Los Angeles to become, like, a, a leading man actor. Yeah, like, two-bit actor slash drug dealer, right? Well, he became a two-bit actor slash drug dealer. <laughs> and uh, Anthony would visit him during the summers and somehow convinced his mom to let him live out there full-time for I don't know what reason. But anyway, so that was Anthony's upbringing. And, yeah, so l- shortly after the whole sex thing and the, the joint thing, he... You know, he was doing cocaine and acid and things like that, just for fun. You know, that's what you do. Yeah. And I don't know if I talked about this in an early episode, but there was a line <coughs> of white powder on a table that one of his dad's friends left. Right. And actually, it turned out to be... A, uh, Anthony snorts it, thinking it's cocaine, you know? And it turns out it's China white heroin. Oh, Jesus Christ. And everyone in the room... He? Yeah, I think he was like 13 Jesus or 14 at this point. Christ. Don't quote me on that. And so... Anthony looks back and he goes like, I liked it very much. And, uh, yeah, so that's long and short how he got into heroin. Was just totally about what you were doing at the age of 13. When I was 13? And this motherfucker fucking snorted his first line of heroin. Around, around that time. And so, I think I was still playing with action figures. I think I was, I'm pretty sure I was still watching wrestling when I was 13. I was, (laughs) I was playing, uh, I was watching Drake and Josh. (laughs) And I and Lucky Charms was my favorite breakfast cereal. At thirteen, you like Lucky Charms? I love Lucky Charms. Not uh, anymore. I'm not I mean, a fan of the marshmallows in the cereal. Dude, I love all that. <laughs> but um, I got Lucky Charms. Anthony had heroin. Oh, hey, you know. You know what I'm saying? We each start our day off differently. Different, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Different strokes. So Fleet, born Michael Peter Bowsery, was born in Australia. I want to say in. Canberra, the capital. His dad was like pretty much a working stiff, garden variety, like nine to five dad who liked to fish. Right. They moved to New York. Him, his older sister, and their parents moved to New York City. And then his mom, who married Mick Bowsery, Flea's dad, very young, ended up divorcing uh, Flea's dad. And moves in with this guy named Walter. And Walter was a jazz musician. Kind of a bohemian type who lived with his parents. Okay. Um, 
was very temperamental, very would fly off the handle at everyone and everything, but throw things at, you know, Flea's mom and Flea and his sister and was also a heroin addict. Okay. And yeah, and oddly enough, was a upright bass player. It's crazy how like, because Flea's not a drug guy, right? Isn't Flea like... Flea, yeah, Flea actually got clean. Well, Flea did drugs like recreationally. Right. Like Anthony did, but he never got addicted like Anthony did. And then he kind of like put it aside. Like he was able to put it aside way more quickly. So it's than interesting how like you know they both had you know drugs in the family. Yeah. And how like one can go one direction and one can go the other direction. Right. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I guess they're just like built differently. Shows you it's just not totally nature versus nurture because. To- yeah. Yeah. You know. You have examples of, of both. Yep. It doesn't guarantee you're going to end up, you know, one way. It's exactly. interesting to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely, I would say that it definitely increased the chances for both of them to be full-on addicts. But at, at, at the end of the day, I think Anthony was just more predisposed to addiction, whereas Flea wasn't. Right. For reasons other, for no reason other than, I guess, biology or yeah. other, you know and what I mean? And so, and, uh, Hillel... Uh, you know, obviously, got yeah, we we'll get to drugs too. Yeah. Oh yeah, which is that's a really tragic part of their history, actually. Hello, Slovak. That uh, that I think is definitely worth discussing. So Anthony and Flea are inseparable, right? Um. So and so Flea moves to Los Angeles because Walter wants to become, you know, wants to get more gigs and more money and stuff like that. And really, what Anthony and Flea bond over is the fact that Anthony was kind of the. Uh, the headstrong actor who, like, you know, like, Flea and Anthony were social outcasts, really. Right. But Flea, Anthony had his own access to cool. Like, this weird, different kind of cool through his dad. Yeah. And would party at the Rainbow Bar and Grill regularly. <laughs> and, like, would watch his dad do all kinds of illegal shit. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, there's a... And Acid for the Children, which is Flea's autobiography, Flea writes about how he uh, he tagged along with Anthony to the Rainbow Bar and Grill and he wore the only suit that he had which by the way he wore when he, when he was in the fifth grade but he still hadn't grown out of <laughs> he wore like a, a pinstripe suit he wore a suit, suit, he, wore a suit. Yeah, he wore a suit to the Rainbow Bar and Grill and of course Anthony is like you know trying to like pick up women wonder if Lemmy was sitting at the end of the bar I don't know <laughs> but um probably and so Flea gets super drunk and like throws up everywhere and Anthony gets pissed at Flea for ruining his reputation at the uh, the Rainbow Bar and Grill. So you see right there, like Anthony is more like combative, and Flea's a little bit more uh, hapless. Yeah, you get that dynamic. So you get the the pro and con, or not? The, I guess the not yin and yang, but I guess like the dynamic between the two two guys. Then one day, they're walking around, I guess Hollywood or whatever, and they they hear they see a car coming. And out of the, and the windows are rolled down, and the radio is blasting La Villa Strangiato by Rush. Okay. For those who don't know, it's a very, very, very intricate, <coughs> uh, musically virtuosic piece by Rush, where the whole band is showcasing their talents, particularly their guitar player Alex Lifeson. And so they hear this ridiculous song coming out of the speakers, and they walk up to the car. 
because they needed to hitchhike. They needed to ride home anyway. And it turned out to be their classmate, Hillel. And Hillel was like, yeah, I'll give you guys a ride. No problem. And then from that day on, Anthony and Flea found they really hit it off with Hillel. And Hillel kind of became like their mentor, like their musical Sherpa, if you will. Yeah. And it turned out, you know, Hillel was like super cool. He was like a guitar player par excellence. Even at like the age of 15, had a band called Anthem, which later became What Is This? Okay. And it featured future Chili Peppers drummer Jack Irons on drums. Nice. And Flea... Jack Irons also played in Pearl Jam, right? He also played in Pearl Jam and later played... I think he played on one... I, want, I think he played with... Not Atlantis Morissette. No, that was somebody else in the Chili Peppers. But... Anthony and Flea and Hillel became, like, inseparable. And Hillel wanted Flea to join What Is This? Okay. And so he does, but Flea doesn't play bass yet. Right. And then he gets Flea to pick up bass, and he finds that he takes to it very naturally. And then Flea... So Anthony's dreams are to be a writer and to be an actor. Uh-huh. And basically he's kind of like the charismatic hype man that like you know picks up the girls and makes everyone else look cool like he'll go to what is this shows and just like say dumb jokes and get everyone to laugh (laughs) yeah yeah and then flea of course kind of like the mc kind of like the mc exactly right and then flea was you know playing bass with what is this and also played bass with a punk rock band called fear okay Uh, for a little while fear yeah, and for oddly enough, like Flea writes in his book also that he had, and this is Flea, one yeah. of the greatest bass players ever. He concedes that he had trouble playing pick style bass and like doing like fast, almost thrash lines. Yeah, and it was for that was among one of the reasons why he ended up leaving Fear. Okay, and one day, Anthony goes to uh, well, Anthony was always a fan of music, and we'd like you know dance to Devo, and I don't know. Talking Heads as well, at clubs and things. He always knew that music was a powerful thing. But it wasn't until he went to go see Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five that he decided, well, shit. They pretty much are doing what I do at my friends' bands anyway. So that was where he got, like, the, you know, hip-hop kind of influence. That's it. (laughs) Well, that's, that's that's the catalyst that inspired him to be, like, a, a front man and a yeah, rapper. right, right. Okay, cool. That's interesting. Yeah, and so then he um, he went home and wrote two song, like two poems, Get Up and Jump, and Out in L.A. Okay. And what is this? We're playing a show at a strip club, and Anthony... And so Jack, Flea, and Hillel didn't have an opening act, and so they wanted Anthony to recite a poem, and... You know, Flea, Hillel, and Jack were going to be his backing band. And so they do Out in L.A. and Get Up and Jump. Just totally improvised. Right. And people in the crowd just go crazy for it. And they want that group back. Which, by the way, at the time were called Tony Flo and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. (laughs) That's what they were called. That's a name. That is... Yeah. (laughs) I forget where they got Red Hot Chili Peppers from, but they eventually... So I saw Red Hot Chili Peppers. So who, who, who is, is there not like a definitive story? Like who came up with it? Because I think there is a definitive story. I, 
remember. You just don't remember. You got because I gotta say that is one of the great. Whether you like their music or not, it's one of the greatest names. It really ever. is a great like, name. Yeah, it's such. There's just something about the the wording, and it doesn't. It means it doesn't have to mean anything. Yeah, just the way, and then even you know how how now it's become initials RHCP. Like it just works. It totally does. It yeah. works. It's just all credit to whichever one of them. Came up decided with, it, right? with that because that is just like so genius to me, and it's probably not even like a great story because I don't know if you ever heard the story about STP how they came up with their name. No, I haven't heard about that. No, they were just like trying to come up with a name. Oh and, yeah, like, they were just looking around. They saw the logo. And they right? saw the logo, and yeah. Wyland was like, "That's a cool logo," and yeah. they just started throwing out names with those letters. Like it, it's you know it's crazy how like how you come to a name sometimes like it'd be like just some random thing and then you end up having this like iconic name you know yeah that you keep for 20 years and because it's a name like like, you don't like even people that don't know their music know that name like you've heard the name oh yeah recognizable like it's not a name you'll forget it's also an object like Red Hot Chili Peppers actually You think exist. of the pepper, like you the think, pepper, yeah. like it, it sticks in your head, like it's not a name that you would just like hear once and then forget, you know Right, what I mean? right, right, right. No, but yeah, so you see, that improvised set opened up a new door for Anthony and Flea and Hillel and Jack, but it was a conflict because, well, Flea had left What Is This by this point, and wanted to, and basically that little showcase inspired Anthony and Flea to form a band together with Hillel and Jack. But Hillel and Jack were still in What Is This? And they got signed to a major... I, I don't know if it was Geffen they got signed to, but they got signed to a major. Wow. And now, so what... Uh, like, what year is this around? Like, is this, this early 80s? 83. 83, okay. This is 83. Okay. And so Anthony and Flea, they know they have something special, decide to reluctantly replace Hillel Slovak with a guy named Jack Sherman. So Hillel wasn't the original guitar player. He was the original guitar player, but like he had to choose between this new burgeoning thing and his major label. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. So they had all the songs. So he wrote all the songs. Mm -hmm. He, Flea, Anthony, and Jack Irons wrote all the songs, but they weren't performed on the first record by them. And then Jack Irons was replaced by a guy named Cliff Martinez, who had played with Captain Beefheart. Okay. So, they have all these songs, and this guy named Lindy Getz becomes their manager and ships them to uh, EMI Records. And one of their favorite bands was Gang of Four, this English band. Okay. Who are very like minimalistic, yeah, very cutting. They're kind of like an underground sensation. <clears throat> and they arranged for their guitar player, Andy Gill, to produce their their self-titled first record. And so right now the lineup is Anthony Kiedis, Flea, Jack Sherman, and Cliff Martinez. Now Cliff is not really mentioned that much except that he's kind of strange. And people that play with Captain Beefheart, from what I understand, tend to be kind of strange anyway. <laughs> But Jack Sherman, according to Anthony's biography, was kind of a elitist asshole. Oh, yeah. Like, literally would... <clears throat> like, he just his image just wasn't even right for the band. And, like, would literally put tape on the stage separating his section from Anthony's section. So Anthony couldn't jump around into his section. <laughs> like, he would do, like, little things like that that would just piss everyone off. Right. He was just in general, just very dismissive of the much younger Anthony and Flea. Uh-huh. 
And then Jack... So they record their first record, and they clash with Andy Gill quite a bit. And Anthony and Flea, of course, are young and doing drugs. But in fairness, they weren't able to capture their live show properly on record. And Flea, in recent years, has even said, you know, if I could go back and re-record that album properly, I would. Jury's out on whether or not that'll actually happen, but... So what hap- what ends up happening is Anthony and Flea, you know, they release their record. It doesn't do so well. And Flea shits in a pizza box and gives it to the, I think it was the EMI crew. <laughs> as, as Flea was does. Was the pizza still in there or was no, it an empty pizza box? it was box? an empty pizza box. That's got to be disappointing. It was quiet. <laughs> For all involved. So they tour. They're getting pretty noticeable but they're really they're just an underground act but they get enough buzz that um george clinton becomes interested father of funk himself that's that's the guy and by this point hillel is kind of disillusioned with what is this i think what is this breaks up by this point okay so hillel's back i don't know where jack irons is at this point but he's not back yet hillel slovak comes back and of course when Freaky Styley is being recorded, Hillel being back in the band just propels them to new heights. It makes them sound even better. Right. Before we continue, why don't we show the audience the difference between a song off the first record and a song off the second record Hear with the Hillel. audience. Well, I, all right, so what's the song from the first record? Get Up and Jump. Get Up and Jump. Red Hot Chili Peppers. There we go. Alright. Give you a little taste of what they were going for. And if you notice, the album cover is really freaky looking. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Top well that So that's remastered. You, yeah, just... Alright. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-four. Did one of them do the album cover? I don't remember. It's, I think they did a behind the music. Oh, yeah, then. I'm pretty sure they did because I, I, I'm oh, pretty yeah, sure that's did. why I heard about first heard about their backstory is because I recognize the album and the other thing I knew about them was the association with George Clinton. Yep. And so did he? So did he produce their next album? He or, did. Okay, because I know he produced one of their albums, right? Freaky so, Styley, yep. Okay, so Freaky Styley he produced. So that's where they got their early punk, uh, like funk influence. Was they, it? A, they always kind of had it, but meeting George Clinton definitely, I guess, brought them must to have inspired level. them a lot yeah. because you can definitely, I mean, hear it in their later sound. I'm not that familiar with their first couple records. I jumped in uh, yeah. on uh, well, Butcher and Sex Magic, but I went back and bought Mother's Milk. Yeah, that's an interesting one too. So that's like my starting point. So I'm not familiar with the first couple. Was it like three albums they put out before Mother's Milk? Or two? Yep, three. Three. Yeah. Yep. Just get up and jump. You want to put on... Uh, you can hear the funk in this, definitely, too. Definitely. It's like a punk-funk hybrid. All right, so what's something from the Freaky Styley? Um, Black Eyed Blonde is one. Black. Oh, it comes right up. It was in a... <laughs> it was in a skate... It was actually... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you get annoyed when I do my Anthony Kiedis impression. No, not at all. But, you're, but it was actually in a... Um, it was actually in a skate movie called uh, Thrashing. I've seen Thrashing. Yeah, they were in that underground. Movie. Yeah, dude. I've seen Thrashing. 
right, here's Black Eyed. This is with Halal Slovak in the band and George Clinton producing. But Jack's not playing drums. No, it's Cliff Martinez still. He's still playing drums. Okay. Kind of sounds like System. Now, so they don't really play any of the songs off those first couple albums anymore. Live. Not really, no, barely. So, I mean, they don't really seem to go any farther back than like Blood Sugar Sex Magic era anymore, live. As like, they st- I think they play one song called "Mommy Where's I mean, I Daddy." I guess they play and they play higher ground still occasionally. They'll also play "Me and My Friends." No, okay. oh, nice record. You know what? What you know? What one of my favorite songs of theirs is that's on Mother's Milk is uh, "Knock Me." Uh, was it "Knock Me Down"? That's a good one. Yeah. God, I love that song. I remember seeing that video in 120 minutes when I was like 10 and being like, "This is fucking awesome." Isn't that song about heroin? Too? It is. Yeah, yeah. Man, why are all the best songs about heroin? Because like, it destroys your life. <laughs> If you want more of the funk, put on Yertle the Turtle off of Freaky Styling. Yertle the Turtle? I swear to God, I have a song called Yertle the Turtle. How do you spell Yertle? Y-E-R-T-L-E. Oh, here comes right up. Yertle the Turtle. Alright, so if you want a little bit of the George Clinton heavy funk, here we go. I love me some George Clinton. Look at that jacket he has on the cover. That is badass. Yeah, that's a, that's a grimace. <laughs> it looks like he's wearing like a like a shag carpet. Yeah. <laughs> His body count was probably like ten hundred by that point. I get the horns in yeah, there. Probably flea playing, if I remember correctly. Love that bass. Me too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, Freaky Silent. That was their second record. And then for their next record, they got. Did they tour with George Clinton? Around then? No, he no? was just producing. I don't okay. think he was performing at that point. Okay. And then, uh... I know George Clinton had a lot of drug problems in the 80s as yeah, well. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I forget why exactly they parted ways with him, but I feel like it might have been the drug thing. If you don't know a lot about George Clinton, I recommend doing, doing a, a deep, deep dive, because yeah. he's the funk master. I know, dude, trust me. <laughs> I know Bootsy was like... He, he frames it like I was the good guy George was the bad guy like as we got more famous like I started doing less drugs and George oh yeah more. wow that's how he sees it yeah 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 I remember the first time I saw a picture of George Clinton I was just like he looks like he's on drugs <laughs> there you go it's like if you were gonna do a visual representation of drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so this record was obviously a step above the first one and got them a little bit more exposure. And was this one a little bit more successful? More, a little bit more successful. Like, they were slowly kind of, like, picking up speed. Right. And Anthony's drug problems were getting worse. And now Hillel, who tragically never liked, wanted to really get into... He was actually way less impulsive than Anthony and Flea were, because Anthony and Flea would, like, go up on billboards and, like, get naked and swing their dicks around <laughs> for oncoming traffic to see... Like, they would jump off of, like, I don't know how many story buildings into swimming pools. When, By did, the they, way, when did they start the playing naked with the tube sock thing? That was <laughs> 84. Yeah. It was just, like, a totally, like, off the cuff. People were, like, <laughs> like, they were, like, I got this, like, somebody in the back, on backstage was, like, 
guys, you should do this. And then they were all like, yeah, we totally should. So for That's their encore, crazy. they came out with socks on their <laughs> junk. And that became a staple, a staple of theirs for a while. I don't think they've done it in like a decade. But, but they became known as like that band that would just do weird shit. You yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, like them, the man. light bulb thing. And like that was later, do weird yeah. shit. <laughs> they, dude. I remember seeing them in like the, one of the, uh, MTV VMAs in the 90s like 91 or 92 and they just had a bunch of fans on stage with them I forget which song they were doing I think it was Give It Away and they just had a bunch of fans on stage with them of course they did and it was just like mayhem on stage for like three minutes yeah they're nuts <laughs> they're crazy 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 people oh man it's so funny to see Anthony in like the eight. there's videos of Anthony in like the 80s with like a hat backwards and he's like he thinks he's an MC. I forget who goes up to it, but he, like, starts, like, spitting rhymes. Obviously, he's just, like, shit-housed. Yeah. On whatever at that point. But, yeah, so... For the next record, they... Their relationship with EMI gets better, and this guy named Michael Beinhorn steps in to produce. Okay. And they replace Cliff Martinez. You know, basically, he's just, I guess, too weird, and they fire him. And they get Jack Irons back. So the original lineup is now all together for this new record called Uplift Mofo Party Plan. Okay. Featuring Great song. Title. It's amazing. Feature and that's by far their most successful record by okay. this point. And And now I know like um Mother's Milk was like their like, you know, kind of like breakthrough. Yeah. So like as far as this album, so like uh, what are we talking about like did this album go gold? Did they or did they not get that to that point yet? Was I, Mother's Milk the first one to go gold? I think it was the first one to get certified. Yeah, we can look, look that, that up. While Let's look that up. Yeah, another but a couple songs off of what do you what you call it? Uplift Mofo Party Plan include Behind the Sun, which is probably their most famous song with Hillel in the band. Do you want me to play that? Yes, please. Okay. Behind the sun, and I don't know if se- I think sex rap was on uh, Freaky sex Styles. Rap. They literally have a song called <laughs> Sex Rap. Great title. Oh, dude, they're funny as hell. Hubba 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 penis. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this looks like an interesting video. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. The the video for this wasn't released until the early nineties. So oh. they had been start. So they started doing videos at this point. Yeah. Okay. Ba-na-na-na-na. And there's also a that's John for John. There's also um, what do you call it? Me and my friends is off of Up with Mofo Party Plan as well. Me and my friends. Yeah, that's the that's the. Yeah, that we were talking about that song like a few minutes ago. That's one they they might do at, at a live. Performance. Oh, they, they they'll dust this off every once in a while. Oh yeah. Oh, it was on what hits? I have what hits. Yeah, what hits is like all their early shit. They put out what hits um, after Mother's Milk, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. To try to generate, like it was like, hey, here's all our old stuff. Yeah. Like they repackaged the old stuff, exactly. and that was kind of a tease while they were making Blood Sugar. Blood right? Sugar. Yeah. Because yes, I remember buying what hits. Now I forget what I was looking up on. Uh... Um, certifications for uh, ah, Uplift. Yes, thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you, sir. Keeping me on track, as always. <laughs> it 
See, that's the thing about Anthony that I like the most is that he can speak in total automatopoeia, and I would still like to listen to him, and there's no one that really quite sounds like him. He does have a great rhythm, like a vocal rhythm, I gotta say. like Right? You know, it's yeah. like... It's like easy to like funk to, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. and you do hear like the hip hop influence too. Like. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. Yeah, I wanted to hear. Even when he's singing. Band's first album to enter the Billboard 200, where it charted at 148. There we go. Although Mother's Milk would reach gold first, Uplift oh, Mofo go. would go on to become the band's earliest effort to do so. Okay, so people went back and bought it. Yeah. All right, so they were creeping up. They were creeping so up. So they were creeping. They were creeping. So in that the, was the first one on the 200. Up. That's interesting. Yeah. So they cracked the Billboard 200. That's a big thing. Yes, it is. And they had already been a band. So that's 87. So they had already been a band for four, four or five years. years. Four years, right? Four years, yeah. And the problem, I mean, by this point... Anthony and Anthony Kiedis and Hillel Slovak were both heavily addicted to heroin. Ugh, already. That's already. trouble. Yeah, it's trouble. Yeah. And so, obviously, the tours were going well. The band was getting very well known. And Anthony, his addiction was such that he wasn't very good at hiding it. People always know like he was using, and he would go off to like Mexico or somewhere far away and just <coughs> use for days. Oh, jeez. And would like go missing for shows sometimes. In fact, he was actually fired for that in like, I want to say 86 for like a month. They fired him? They fired him and for like who, a month. So who took over? Uh, just various people. It could it could have been Bob Forrest, Keith wow. Morris. Not like officially, but like would step in. He never had a, an official replacement. But it was actually... See, that's something I bet most people have no idea. I've right. never heard that. You, you can find this out from reading his autobiography, Scar Tissue. Was where that kind of like to, to try to motivate him? Like, all right, dude, like, we've tried everything else. Get it the fuck did out work. Here. It did work because okay. while being fired from the band, he saw Flea and, you know, I think it was Hillel and Cliff at this point, because this is going back a little bit. Yeah. Accepting some kind of underground award on TV. Okay. And he felt disappointed that he wasn't a part of that because at, at that point, like all he really cared about was doing drugs. Yeah. And he obviously saw his friends having more fun without him and he wanted to have fun with his friends again. So he got his act together at least a little bit or at least enough to stay in the band and yeah, it hasn't left since and hasn't been kicked out. So, Anthony, so anyway, Anthony cuts to 1988, Anthony and Hillel are seriously addicted to heroin and Hillel, like I said, was never really as impulsive as Flea or Anthony and was very ashamed of his heroin use. So he would keep it from everybody. So nobody, so people knew he was dabbling with it, but didn't know how serious his addiction was that getting. That seems more like a typical heroin user, like who would be yeah. closed off and, you mm-hmm. know, like, like and, high, yeah, not let people know. And, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Just lock yourself in a room. Like. And Hillel was realizing that, Accounts say that Hillel was realizing that his creativity was diminishing greatly and was terrified that he was going to die from it. Wow. And the Behind the Music video, you know, says, you know, shows Hillel's younger brother, James, talking about the night before Hillel died, saying, dude, I don't know if I can kick this. I need help. Wow. And then James said, yeah, man, we'll, we'll definitely get you better. We'll clean you up. We'll go to rehab. And Hillel promised he was never going to use again. 
but that night he uses heroin for the last time and overdoses. Fuck. And he was, I think he was 28. Fuck. Yeah. And like, it must, you know, they're probably, especially 1988. Yeah. The access, there probably wasn't nearly as much access to help and and shit as there is now. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, it must have been so much harder back then, you know? Absolutely. Wow, that's so so fucking sad, man. Yeah, and so, yeah, basically, in, in as for the children, Flea talks about, and Anthony, Flea, and Hillel were, like, brothers for each other, the three of them together. They yeah. did everything together, camping trips, drugs, everything. June 25th, 1988. Yeah. So did not attend the funeral? He was too ashamed, yeah, he was, he actually vowed to kick heroin for good, and... Like after that, and did kick it for many for like five years. After Irons that. troubled by the death left the band. From That's the right. Years of depression and and became member of Pearl Jam. Wow. Yeah, it's true. And so by that, so at that point, Anthony and Flea were the only two members of the Chili Peppers. But then wow. they decided after some soul searching to soldier on. At first, they recruited D. H. Peligro from Dead Kennedys to fill to so play drums. Right. Yeah. And they got Dwayne McKnight from Black Parliament Bird McKnight from Parliament Funkadelic <coughs> to play guitar, and um, he did. He only lasted like a maybe a month or two. Yeah. And I guess Anthony and Flea didn't feel like he was quite a fit. But then D.H. Pligo recommends an eighteen-year-old guitar prodigy named John Frusciante. And the rest is history. And the rest, is, <laughs> funnily enough, John actually was a friend of the band. Like he was so he was a fan of the chili peppers yeah he was friends with halal and flea already oh okay and like learned all their albums guitar and bass so now when halal died yeah was the plan always that they were going to continue or were they ever like man what maybe they had no idea this anymore they didn't know what to do they didn't know what to do for a long time so like what have they said like what made them decide to like keep the band together because that seems like... I have. I just don't... You don't remember offhand. I Sorry, I'm not, not trying offhand. to stump you or anything. No, I just, no, no. <laughs> I, I did compile I find that interesting because even, even, even on the Wikipedia here, it doesn't really talk about it. It talks about Irons and, and, and Hello know, leaving. Well, but, Hello yeah, died. But, yeah. It doesn't... Um, talk about why they continue. Yeah, because that. I wonder if they... Yeah, that's interesting because, you know... You, some bands are like, we can't do this anymore without yep. this guy. And then other bands, you know, there's so many examples of each side. Other bands trudge forward. Like, it's interesting. Absolutely. I'd be interested to know why. But To know why, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I mean, Flea just had this uh, amazing perseverance. And Anthony, I mean, Anthony was in pieces over Hillel. He felt guilty because he was using heroin before Hillel ever did. And he felt responsible for a long time. And so he vowed to never do it again. Never do it again. doing it again, didn't he? And there, there's actually a very complicated... <laughs> there's a very complicated story involving that. Yeah. Which, um... Sorry, which I'm not trying to obvious. jump all around. I'm just, uh... No, but the, uh... No, it's important to throw in some vignettes here and there. I'm just riffing. Yeah, there you go, man. <laughs> and so John comes in and... He's this 18-year-old kid full of piss and vinegar. Um... Pretty much friendless by this point, but, like, is a musical genius. Insane. Insanely talented kid 
who idolizes the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're his favorite band. He's never been in a band before. Really? He's their favorite band. Favorite wow. band, yep. Wow. And actually, funnily so- enough, is auditioning for Frank Zappa's band at the time. No shit. That D.H. Peligro recommends the Mothers of Invention or whatever the fuck yeah. they were called. But here's here was the caveat to joining Zappa's band it was no drugs or drinking of any kind. Wow. And to an 18-year-old John Frusciante, who was a total, like, hedonist. Isn't he like, that's why I want to be in a band? That was part of it. <laughs> and so, and of course, Anthony and, and the Chili Peppers and crew were all about that shit. I so, don't want to, um, I don't want to, uh, veer off topic, but, so, when Hillel died, was Mother's, did Mother's Milk come out before Hillel died? No, after. The album? After. After. But yep. it was finished. No. It wasn't finished. Nope. Wow. Nope. So he didn't even... That sucks. He no. didn't even get to experience see record. their success, no, their, their climb. Wow. No, wow. And okay. so... That's interesting. Yeah, so... And the thing was, like... Yeah, they... Flea and Anthony also didn't know how they were going to possibly top their uh, their dynamic with Hillel yeah. and Jack. Yeah. Did they click with Frashanti like, instantly? Immediately. Musically? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, Frashanti blew them away. But DH was decidedly not up to their standard or just wasn't exactly a fit, so they fired him. Yeah. But it's funny because both DH and John appear in the Me and My Friends music video. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah, that. why was John in the video for that song? Because... He was you in the said b- they made the video later. Later, yeah, because oh, okay. yeah, Hillel was dead by that point oh, and Jack was gone. All right, all right. And so they get... So a female friend of Fleas, or Anthony, I forget who's, recommends this dude from Michigan, or the Midwest, I forget where, who, lo- who eats drums for breakfast. <laughs> and this is after... Is that a quote of his? On, from Scar Tissue, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, after uh, like spending an entire day auditioning drummers, in walks this like this long-haired, like muscle-bound, I think he's like 6'2". He's huge. Yeah, he's, he's huge. like a brick house. And he's got like a, I think he's got like a poison shirt on. <laughs> or something. Either Metallica or Poison. Like he's a total hair metal I don't metal think I've guy. ever seen him with long hair. That's crazy. Oh, dude. Look up like, er, like early, late 80s, early 90s Chad Smith. So and yeah, for those who were speculating, this is Chad Smith. This is enter Chad Smith, if you will. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just oh, thinking okay. of how to phrase the next thing. So, actually, there's a video of John Frusciante and Chad describing when Chad walks into the door, which I, is a funny video, which I think we should put on in a second. Oh, this isn't helping me. That's all right. What? Uh, all right, so what video? Just uh, John and Chad talking about Chad auditioning. But all I'll say before the video plays is that basically Flea would lead the jams at first, but then Chad would come in, and Chad just totally takes over the jam and just tra- like allows the you know Anthony Flea and John to just play better than they ever had. Okay. So now they have like so they all immediately knew Chad was the guy. Do they? So they realize now that they have all the pieces. For what they don't know, but it's they really recognize freaking the powerful. Magic. Oh, okay. it's even more magical than with Halal and Jack. Okay. It's huge now. Wow. And so they still have Beinhorn producing 
and they're still signed to EMI. You know what? Before I go on to that, let's just play a video about John and Chad talking about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, Is that, that the one. clip? It's, it's on YouTube. It's John talks about Chad's audition for RHCP. It's one that's of my it. favorite videos. Yeah. It's, this is an 06, by the way. I'd love to be in a, a, a rock band that, uh, you know, is passionate about their music and, and that uh, is real and honest. Tell them how I got to audition. Chad walked in, and when he walked in, he had a Metallica shirt on. Metallica. And he had his hair, and his hair was all frizzy. We were like, oh my God, let's just get this guy out of here. <laughs> <laughs> sat down at the drum set and we started jamming and for up till now usually Flea, Flea was leading the jam. <coughs> Chad walked in and and like all of a sudden <laughs> he was carrying us and he just was speeding up and speeding up and going fuck you! Fuck you! Ah! <laughs> you know like Breaks a string, and I've never seen anyone switch change a string faster in my life. It was a crazy thing because he didn't want to miss out on the fucking jam. We were like, Do you think you got to fucking do that? And he bragged. And... <laughs> he got down to the floor with like bodily changing his string. Well, it was real underground, but that was where we really had to learn that lesson that you know, different people I think learn different ways in life that it's. It's about what somebody has on the inside. It's not about one's outer presentation. There you go, man. <laughs> Long story short, magic that's is born. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, so... That's a good lesson. Totally, man. That's a good so, lesson. By this point, it's 1989 when Chad's in the band. And... So when do they meet Rick Rubin? Uh, this is after Mother's Milk. Right. So Rick Rubin didn't record... Rick Rubin recorded Blood, Blood Sugar. Blood Sugar, Sex, yep. Right. When they were at Warner Brothers. But, so, they were signed to EMI still, and... Oh, so Mother's Milk hasn't come out yet. Hasn't come out yet, no. Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 I, got yet, you, no, I, yet, I got you, I got you, And so, it's them four in the band, and that's when songs like Knock Me Down and the Fuck cover yeah. of Higher Ground come through. Fuck yeah. We're play fun. Knock Me Down we're because... Knock Me Down. Because Knock Me Down is basically about drug use and, like, Thinking that you're bigger than life. I still listen to Knock Me Down to this day. Me too, man. That's one of my song. favorites. And great... The, I, I believe their first video that got like actual play on MTV, because that was the first time I saw them as a young kid. That's Alex Winter, isn't it? I don't know. From uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes, I think it is. Is it really? I gotta get a better look at his face. I'm pretty sure it's him. So Anthony wrote this about his own heroin use. His own heroin use, his own hubris, and the fact that Hillel's gone. And he's still clean at this point? Yeah. He's been clean since 2000, Anthony. No, but I mean, he didn't he... At this point, yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, at yeah, this yeah, yeah. point. No, no, now since Mother's Milk wasn't finished, how, what did they do? Like, did they use the stuff Hillel recorded already? Did they re record? Like, you said Mother's Milk wasn't finished when Hillel died. 
I so I said they didn't even start it. Oh, 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 okay. All right. No, I'm my, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm confused. I thought I thought that Hillel played on Mother's Milk. Oh, okay. All right. My bad. I didn't realize that. So John plays on Mother's Milk. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Interesting. And I he, never realized that. I guess I, I don't know why. I just never realized that. And he... Um, Michael Beinhorn, who was their producer from the previous record, wanted them to still sound kind of like they did when they had Hillel in the band. But for Sean, embrace this new this kind new of, kind of direction, which okay. John hated. Eighteen year old piss of vinegar, John Frusciante. And you probably let them know about it too. Oh no, he was like that. <laughs> they would get into like shouting matches because John Frusciante at heart is like a song, like a songwriter and like a melodic player, and even this song is more rhythmic. That's definitely Alex Winter in the video. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but, um, I don't know why I keep focusing on that. So, the record comes out, it goes gold, but they're not, ha- they're not happy. First gold record. First gold record, and they're not quite happy with Michael Beinhorn as a producer or the record label. And honestly, they have enough clout, you know, with the gold record and what have you, to, you know, have other people looking at them. And then so they signed to Warner Brothers. So they're getting. And so, with the success of Mother's Milk, are they are they doing? Uh, do they do like a bigger tour? Like, are more people going to oh, see yeah. them? Oh yeah, bigger like, and bigger. Yep. Yeah. Everything's right. just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, like meteorically. And then they sign with Warner Brothers. Okay, so that's big. That's huge. Yeah. And that also includes Mr. Rick Rubin. Okay, so Rick Rubin was with Warner Brothers at that's this right. time. Okay. That's right. Okay. And so then. And so that's how they meet Rick Rubin. That's how they meet Rick Rubin, and. Famously, and this is actually captured on a documentary. I forget what it's called. It's uh, I think it's called Funky Monks, where they go to this very famous oh, yeah, Laurel Canyon do, mansion. I've seen it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Oh yeah, it's in black and white. It's yeah. a very interesting film. Yeah, they rent the mansion, right? Yeah, the, and the that's mansion. Where they record it. Yeah, for those I who don't I, know, I'm pretty sure I've seen that. Yeah. For those who don't know, there's this very famous mansion in Laurel Canyon called the Mansion that's said to be haunted, where. Rick Rubin famously takes musical acts to record. And a lot of band's most seminal work comes from there. Examples being Slipknot's Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses, and Blood Sugar, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, among other things. I don't want to veer too far off topic here, but that is where Blood Sugar Sex Magic is recorded. And that helps give it that that signature sound. Like, it has such a great sound. It, it really does. Very uh, punchy. And the cool thing about Rick Rubin that he's famous for is that he allows bands to kind of strip down their style and really embrace how they actually want to play and make magic out of that. And totally lets John really come to be a very melodic, if sparse, player here, but funky as hell. Oh, yeah. Like, he still had the piss and vinegar, I keep saying that, from his youth, where he's just kind of like wants to go... But he can also he do really explore, also explore some really melodic things, such as their biggest hit, "Under the Bridge." And he actually he is that t- my cue? That is your cue <laughs> to put on "Under the Bridge." And so, before that, Anthony really wasn't a singer. So let me. So yes. Yeah, so let me tell you. So you know, uh, let me jump in here for a second. So, uh, so I feel like I have an interesting perspective because. This is the first, one of the first albums I ever bought was this album. Yeah. And I was, I believe, 10 when yep. this album came out. 
And this was one of my first like song like favorite songs. Nice. And this video was played to death on MTV. This oh, video man. was played 30, 50 times a day. I'm not lying. That's crazy. They played the fucking shit out of this video. I can imagine. And the Chili Peppers really they leaned hard into MTV. Mm. They embraced you know, some bands didn't like MTV. They embraced the fuck out of MTV. For sure. And MTV was like the dominant, a dominant pop culture force in yes. 91, too. Like, MTV almost, like, set the trends. Like, if you, you could go on MTV and, and immediately be a star. Like, mm. MTV was so popular back then. And broke a lot of bands. And they definitely... Oh, some of that huge explosion to MTV because Absolutely. they played the, this and give it away. They played the shit out of those. Yeah, and you're and so he wrote. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wrote this song about being homeless under a bridge, right? It was actually about a particular bridge where he would go and buy heroin. And since then, people have speculated which bridge it was in L.A. So he wasn't homeless. He wasn't... Well, he was homeless for a time, but it wasn't necessarily about So I'm that. just probably partially confusing it a little bit with the Nirvana song that's about being homeless under a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. I didn't even know there so, was a Nirvana song like that. Oh, yes. Uh, you never heard... Uh, so the Nirvana song, um, Something in the Way. Oh, uh, no. Never mind. No. Yeah, it's about him living under a bridge and being homeless. But, I, but yeah, I... So he never really sang. So I, I noticed from all those other examples is him doing the hubba 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 yeah. hubba. Not like, here though. So yeah, he never. So he never really sang before no, this album. So really, Rick no. Rubin encouraged him to sing more. Yep. Because I would like to point out my, I have a lot of favorites on this album because, like I said, it's one of my favorite albums. But sure. uh, Breaking the Girl to me, it's awesome. Is one of their best songs. That is an incredible song. It really and that is. is pushing in a. And trying totally. something totally different. Absolutely. And can we pray? Can we play "Breaking the Girl"? Here? Yes, we can. We can, and we will. I have so, I have so many favorites on this album. Yeah, and, and this they is, definitely um, had. I'd have to look it up, but they definitely had. Like there were like four or five like like legit hits on this album. Absolutely. Like, yeah. No, this album that got radio play. Oh yeah, this album propelled them to platinum status Breaking beyond the superstar 19 million views and yeah this is just i mean such a fucking great song and that i love the drum breakdown in particular yep. like towards the end that <laughs> oh, by the way featuring uh, that features Stephen perkins oh really from jane's edition yeah they were no friends shit. with him and he came in and banged on some pots no shit. Help him out with that, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna tell you, like that's one of the tidbits I know is that they like banged on pots, pots. for that. <laughs> you, can, you, you can see that in uh, what do you call it, um, Funky Monks. This is another video that got fucking huge play. All right, so that concludes part one of the Red Hot Chili Peppers deep dive, if you will, and the where we left off is the era of. The 1991 album Blood Sugar Sex Magic, produced by Rick Rubin, featuring Anthony Kiedis on vocals, Flea on bass, John Frusciante on guitar, and Chad Smith on the drum kit. And this record sold 12 million copies, certified platinum, and propelled them to absolute superstardom. And very importantly, John Frusciante, the guitar player, was a mere 20 years old when this all happened. And to put that in perspective, as far as the age difference between him and the other band members, 
Anthony, Flea, and Chad were all either approaching 30 or in their early 30s. So uh, what will happen to the Chili Peppers after their 1991 blow-up? Oh, by the way, their Blood Sugar Sex Magic tour featured Smashing Pumpkins, among other famous artists. And yeah, we're going to continue our discussion about the Chili Peppers at some other point. Stay tuned for that. And as always, like, subscribe, and follow us wherever. You know where to find us. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, among other platforms. Thank you all for listening, and have a good day.